Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, let me know when you're ready. Uh, I'm ready whenever you are. All right. Welcome, players, to the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show. I'm your host, Eric the Doc, and we have Lil Cheesecake, the LC, joining me. LC, how you doing? I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, something that listeners don't really know, we we film these introductions after we talk with the guests, usually, and I mean... Alex was so awesome, so I'm still on a little bit of a buzz from that. How you doing, man? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, taking over the hosting duties today. We are recording on Thursday evening. For those that don't know, David is a big Kansas City fan. And uh, as soon as we were finished our recording with Alex, dipped. Uh, he's not loyal. Um, but that's all the crashing will do for this segment. And we are going to go to our news and notes. Allow me to break the ice. News and notes. This is fantasy baseball related. As many of you know, David, Art, and myself play in a fantasy baseball league. Uh, Eight out of 12 teams made the playoffs, and uh, David was one of the teams that did not make the playoffs. I will give him a little credit. He was fourth in points scored, put up a few dud weeks, a few (laughs) poopy weeks, and he is currently sitting at home. So uh, Art and I are doing a little dance in the background. We're rejoicing. But since we are a fantasy show, we felt like that was important information to pass along. Frosty! Next bit of news, and Cheesecake, I'll let you take it away, because this is some breaking news we got. Yeah, just uh, just reported around 6.30 tonight, uh, the MLB is going to play its postseason in a bubble, and its World Series will be played in Texas. Now, the first round will be played entirely in at the home team's ballpark. So real big first-round advantage here for those home teams. Uh, Doc, what do you think about this plan? Uh, Give me your thoughts. I think it's pretty interesting that it took them this long to make the bubble. Uh, I think MLB had a little bit of a disadvantage because they were the first uh, kind of organization to plan on the fly as their season and postseason were approaching. I think they've kind of learned from some of the mistakes the, the Cardinals and Marlins and other teams have made by going out and exposing themselves. So fortunately we haven't had an outbreak. Uh, I like the idea and you know, the home team does get a little bit of an of advantage, which they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's interesting. Like baseball is different from basketball in that you can play game after game, after game, after game on the same basketball court and the court's not going to, you know, get chewed up. There's not going to be any problems. I mean, baseball is not football, but, 
there's there's logistical problems with playing a baseball season in a bubble if you don't have enough fields to provide uh, diversity of, of of playing conditions so that you're not just chewing up one field. But I do think it's 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 interesting that uh, the MLB uh, is is finally coming to this conclusion. I I was a big fan of the Arizona plan when it came out. Um, in March or so when they said, well, why don't we just play all the games in Arizona? That was the uh, best season long bubble plan that I saw. But, um, you know, this is just common sense. Uh, MLB dropping it on a Thursday night. It, it seems like it seems like to me this is this is just common sense. And this should have always been the plan from the beginning. I agree. And I think that the, the fact that the MLB has made it this far. They, they need the season to finish, and I know there's some concerns that as cold and flu season start coming around that there's going to be an increase in COVID cases. So for once, it seems like they're actually proactive in thinking about a way that they can finish this season. So uh, rare rare shout-out to um, Commissioner Manfred. I almost forgot his name because I'd never say good things about him. It just kind of didn't process together. A few other bits of news and notes to talk about. Eric Hosmer likely out for the season after fracturing a finger on a failed bunt. Cheesecake, uh, what are your thoughts? This is why you don't bunt, right? I mean, don't bunt if you if you don't practice it. I mean, what was was there a shift on? I I didn't see the play. Was he trying to bunt for a hit against a shift? Uh, was that was um, that the I, like? I believe so. I don't think I saw the play itself. I just saw it hit. I think on his left index finger, uh, similar injury to that Trey Turner had last year, where yeah. he just had his fingers above the bat. You know maybe an inch, half an inch down too far and gets plunked. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a little league mistake. Obviously Hosmer is not a little league hitter. Um, it's, he just never bunts, you know, Trey Turner, same thing. They just, these guys, these guys are taught to swing and swing hard. Uh, you guys got to practice bunting if you're going to break it out, uh, aggressively in a game. That's true. Next little bit of news, Max Freed on the IL with back spasms adds to the Braves pitching woes Yeah. with Matt Freed, Mike Fultonavich getting designated, Soroka tearing his Achilles, unfortunately, Cole Hamill's not pitching. Even Tommy Malone, who got bombed yesterday, but didn't didn't get the loss. Um, Cheesecake, do you think that uh, the Braves are going to be contenders with this much pitching woes? I mean, they can't score 29 runs every game. Well, they're, they're in a pretty – pretty decent spot they're three and a half games up on on the marlins who are the third place division team in their division so the top two teams in each division make it to the playoffs plus the best wildcard teams they have a pretty decent cushion to making the playoffs um they've been they've managed to to uh to play well enough they're you know all their pitching woes they're still six and four in their last 10 i mean uh they they've managed to 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 overcome it i think they're still a, a playoff team without max freed uh you know if they had had soroka they'd really be a playoff uh um playoff team to to contend with i don't think they're going to be a real threat come playoff time but uh i think they make the playoffs still yeah and and the good news is that max freed should be back after the minimum 10 days if not um, not much longer after that. It doesn't seem like something that will sign-light him for the rest of the season. And a little bit of last news, uh, Pablo Sandoval was released by the Giants. You know, had been a hero for a couple of those World Series winning teams. 
Uh, do you think that this is the end of his career? I, I don't know who else would sign him, but he could probably play in Korea and be really That's popular. Yeah. 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 We could play see him on the KBO next season with Alex Fast. Yeah. And, and, you know, he'll hit like 300 and get paid a couple million bucks to live in Korea for the next couple of years. I, you know, do it, Pablo. Why not? Yeah. You know, fits in kind of with the Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda, KBO. Exactly. You know, exactly. Exactly. So, it's perfect. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's a good match. With that mm-hmm. being said, you like what you're hearing? Make sure you never miss a show by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. You like football? The game's tonight. David does. Well, good news for you. We have a fantasy football show as well, available wherever you find your podcasts. Make sure you follow us on social media at Trip Play Fantasy on both Twitter and Instagram. Myself, I do a great job, in my opinion, uh, running daily polls, gifts, uh, questions, interacting with the people, and uh, slamming David. Make sure you never miss a podcast and hear how David missed our fantasy baseball season by subscribing to wherever you get for us. Just like me and Art, make sure that you're in the in crowd when it comes to the most clutch times and stay on top of our podcasts. Thank you, the loyal listeners, to li- or thank you, the loyal players, for listening. Bash David on this introduction, and now pitching flings and things with Alex Fast. Welcome in a reoccurring guest. This is a man with enough pitching knowledge to fill up your local library. He's the VP over at Pitcher List co-host of On the Corner and the weekend editions of the First Pitch Podcast. If that's not enough, he's also in his spare time an associate producer for Major League Baseball itself. We are talking with no one other than the Dylan Bundy truther, the, clerg- <laughs> the clergyman of CSW, the return of the fast, Mr. Alex Fast. What's up, my man? Wow. I, I feel like this, you guys are two for two on the intros. I feel like I'm so undeserving of those. I mean... I wish you guys could have like written my wedding vows. <laughs> I told David, I said you need to put yourself as introduction extraordinaire in your Twitter bio. Like I, <laughs> I don't give David compliments a lot, but he kills it on the intro. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, dude. Hey, well, man, I I just want to say I like this is the second time we had you on, and I don't know if you remember the first time yep. where we were all talking in the anchor app. Mm-hmm. And we had like our phones up to our uh, our faces and all that. It was very uh very different from where we're at now. And uh, you actually you're the second time second person we've had on twice. Oh. So you've been on five percent of our shows. <laughs> so I just want you to know that you're a part of the big five percent here. Great. Where are my stock options in the Triple Play Fantasy <laughs> team? Yeah, as soon as we come we become public on on the New York Stock Exchange, we're hitting you up. All right, good. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want. But to man, hear. like. The way I'm, when I'm looking at you before we dive in, man, like you, I'm I'm looking at you like Johnny Depp when he was with uh, Edward Scissorhands, and then since we last talked, you're now like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, oh wow, great! Like, you're going insane, man. Like uh, it's I, like, good. As long as I don't turn into him at like you know the Willy Wonka, then I guess I'm good. You know, <laughs> like I gotta like get out before that happens. 
but you're like, I mean, man, everything you're doing right now, like you're killing it, obviously, at pitcher list. You know, you obviously, the, the CSW stat you're created, which when we first had Juwan, I kind of was learning more about, and now I'm so appreciative of it, and I use it a lot in my research, and um, you're on ESPN broadcast, Masson. I mean, dude, you're like superhuman, man. Well, like you're doing everything these days. It's just my wife doesn't want to see me anymore, so she tries to book all these things as much as possible just to <laughs> get me away from her, you know? I, th- I thought said, this was the triple play slingshot effect. After triple play, <laughs> just yeah, slingshot and all the way to ESPN. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was that was wild. That was absolutely wild. I, I, I that like it still blows my mind. I'm still I still can't believe they had me on. I still can't believe Masson has me on and wants me back. Like it's it's still very surreal. At, uh, but at the end of the day, it's all about this. It's all about talking baseball with you guys. Mm. Yeah, and you're so interactive with everybody, so it, it's always really cool. Uh, we obviously, we talked the last time, got similar pups, mm-hmm. and we live a half hour away growing up, so it was all really cool to find all that stuff out when we first talked. So, Yes, um, how is your dog? He's good. He's uh, he's still a little wild, mm-hmm. still a beast. How's Tokyo? She's good. She, she had some kennel cough, but she wrapped that up, and now she's uh, she's doing a lot better. I appreciate you asking. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um but the people that are tuning in, we're going to be talking, switching from dogs and other things. We're going to be talking our main subject today about pitching flings and pitching things. Mm. So we're going to be looking at different categories of pitchers from this 2020 season to figure out if you're just having a fling with them, if you're just kind of riding it while they're, they're a hot commodity, or if you're going to kind of drop off, get away from them looking into 2021. So we're going to the three categories we have are popular breakout pitchers going into this season. We also have pitchers that were great in 2019 that stunk this year in 2020. And then pitchers that look to have dipped their big toe in the water of greatness hmm. to make that leap into a must draft pitcher next year. So I want to start off right off the bat with these are six names I wrote down and I sent to you guys. Uh, obviously, if there's other names you want to include in here, you're more than welcome to. But guys, I heard a lot of this offseason, Adrian Hauser, Joe Musgrove, Josh James, Zach, Zach Gallen, Dylan Bundy, and Mitch Keller. Uh, Alex, I'll start with you. Do you feel you can pick whichever one you want to start with? Do you feel that uh, there's reason for optimism for this guy going forward? Or are they a mirage and you're kind of baiting them drafting going into 2021? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I'll I'll start with, you know, I'll, I'll go in order as you introduced them. So I'll start with Adrian Hauser. I mean, I, I personally, there's a lot of guys that I was wrong on coming into the year. Obviously, I was wrong on plenty of guys. Uh, I, I personally was not really into Adrian Hauser. And I'm not just saying that because of hindsight. Um, I... One of the things that I talked about with Hauser last year is the wide disparity between his swinging strike rate and his K rate, right? Like a really good rule of thumb is you should be able to double the swinging strike rate and get the K rate, right? And there's some extenuating circumstances there with stats like put away rate and stuff like that. But if we doubled Hauser's swinging strike rate last year, we got about 19%. And he ended the year in 2019 with a 25% K rate, which means that uh, he's probably going to regress a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. The K rate is as you would expect now at 18 percent uh almost to the dot uh and he started giving up the long ball even more the ground balls started finding holes a little bit more 
His four seam has a 214 WRC plus on it, which is just god awful. It had a 93 WRC plus the year before. And when it comes to pitchers and individual pitches, you obviously want a lower WRC plus because that's how hitters are performing against it. So to go from 93 to 214 is really precipitous. Um, I didn't, I don't think Hauser is a five ERA pitcher. He's not someone I'm interested in for 21 overall. I also think even when he does get hot, it's Craig Council, man. He's just going to pull you in the fourth inning and the fifth inning and ride, you know, Devin Williams or Josh Hader or whatever elite bullpen arm they're pumping out that year. So just someone who's not really for me moving forward. One thing I noticed when I was researching Adrian Hauser is his batting average versus fastball this season, which is the second pitch he throws the most. He throws it approximately uh, uh, 16% of the time, but he's still throwing it. But it's his, the batting average against it this year is 458. Wow. And his, the expected batting average is 285. So that's it's interesting to me because obviously he's getting hit more than he should off of that, or at least the batting average is a lot higher than it should be. If you actually look at all his expected numbers, there are a lot of them are lower than his actual numbers. I definitely agree with you. I, I'm this isn't any reason I would be looking to draft him, but I feel like like you said, he's not a five ERA pitcher. He's due for some positive regression. Um, but I also think we also look for the sexy whiff rates, and he only has two pitches that have a, an above-average whiff rate. Mm. So you're already kind of playing with fire with that. Um, Art, I'll go to you. Who's your next one you want to highlight for this category? I just first want to apologize for the victory lap I took on Adrian Hauser after three starts. <laughs> <laughs> because the last five starts have just said, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Mitch Keller, who has had a lost season this year. Uh, Mitch Keller is throwing live batting practice. He's done it twice in the past week. He threw 35 pitches of live batting practice on the sixth four days ago. So, I mean, I if, if we don't see him back on the mound this year, I'm obviously uh, – it's not a thing for me. I'm not going to draft him. I hope I hope Pittsburgh puts him back on the mound, hopes that he gets a little bit of – time, a little bit of run to end the season. If he's throwing batting practice now, it's possible we could see him. I would like to see him finish the season on the mound, even if it's just, you know, a, a couple innings of mediocre to poor work, because that just means he finished the season healthy. That's something that's very important to me. Uh, and so then I'll be looking at him in the late rounds again next year, like I was this year. Mm-hmm. Point. He has an oblique injury, so hmm. it's something you don't worry about as much as if it was an arm or a shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you call Mitch Keller? Uh, get out the way, old Mitch Keller. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who's your first guy? Uh, I just want to piggyback because I just need to go on a mini rant about Adrian Hauser. <laughs> two starts, 12 innings pitch, six hits, one earned. I'm like Art. I'm like, oh, yeah, I called it. Starting pitcher and relief eligible pitcher? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm golden. Since then, in his six starts, 30.2 innings pitched, 42 hits, 25 earned runs, 23 strikeouts. Oh. He has more earned runs than strikeouts. That's awful. That's awful. Yummy. He's, he's allowed five earned runs against the Tigers his last two outings. I, I kept him this week because I was like, no way he can give up five earned against Detroit again. Well, I was wrong. So, Adrian Hauser, you are just disappointing me. I'm going to talk about Dylan Bundy, and I know that's Alex. Ah. I'm going to talk with I'm going to talk about him a little bit. I think anytime somebody moves on from the O's, you already know that they're going to do better than they were before. (laughs) And 
just just from the ballpark. I mean, the, it's hard for a pitcher to do well in Camden Yards, but Dylan Bundy this year has gone five innings pitched in all but one game, and that's prior to today where he threw seven uh, seven innings. I think one earned. He's a fifty-five to twelve strikeout to walk ratio, averaging over nine Ks per uh, nine innings, only allowing 0.7 home runs per nine, four on the year. He's done a really good job of keeping the ball in the park, Um, has only allowed more than three earned in one out of his eight starts, and that's when he ran into the Giants when they were starting to get really streaky. 40.3% ground ball rate. I mean, he just looks like an entirely new pitcher this year, and I'll pass it on to you, Alex, because I know that we both called it. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's frustrating, right? I, I had to put my Orioles hat on just like, you know, it's like grasping at a Bible when something bad goes wrong, just to remember that you need to have faith in something. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's tough. It's tough to see him go out there and succeed as an Orioles fan. Um, but it's also really good uh, in, in, in a nice way to see him have success because he seems like he's a really great guy. You know, this is a guy who we knew that all he had to do was change his pitch arsenal, and that's exactly what he did, right? The uh, the fastball percentage goes from 42% down to about 30%. He jumps up the changeup percentage. He jumps up the slider percentage, and he starts throwing things a little bit differently. He does something that I absolutely love to see pitchers do, which is throw first-pitch curveballs, right? A first-pitch curveball is exactly the opposite of what a batter is expecting right now, right? They're expecting first-pitch fastballs, and Dylan Bundy has a terrible fastball. It sits 90-91, and they're going to be able to absolutely destroy it as it was the worst fastball. I believe it allowed the third most home runs over the past three years of any pitch in baseball. So he says, you know what? I'm going to get this free strike. I'm going to start out 0-1. I did some study on first-pitch counts and uh, that we did at the um, – uh, the like this pitcherless convention that we had at the beginning of the year, and pitchers are essentially starting behind in the count. Like guys are so aggressive right now that on OO they might as well be behind two one because guys don't really want to get to their breaking pitches. They don't want to get to a pitcher's breaking pitches. The same thing would happen with Kershaw last year. They're like, you know what? I don't want to see that slider. I don't want to see that curveball. I'm going to take my chance on this 92 mile an hour fastball and do my damage there. So Bundy's doing something great, which is saying like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to throw this first pitch curveball and you're just going to spit on it and bam. And all of a sudden I'm ahead oh one and I can do whatever I want. Doc already brought up the great point about the ground balls. He's utilizing that sinker and utilizing that i know i like calling you doc because i like that little <laughs> name about the their car um he, he uh he's utilizing that sinker and that changeup really well to get ground balls when he's behind in the count and he's also utilizing that fastball to the best of its ability you know what i mean he's not relying on it to get ahead he's placing it where he needs to and guys are like okay it's a two strike count i know his slider is filthy he's not going to beat me on it i know his changeup is filthy and next thing they know He's dotting 91 up and in against them, and they're laughing all the way to the bench because they just struck out in a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. So I think he's capital P pitching right now. You know what I mean? He's like kind of he's not granky by any stretch of the imagination, but he's doing that. He's outsmarting you, and I love to see that, and I think that's someone that I can continue to buy into next year. Will he have a sub-3 ERA next year? No, he's going to have starts where he's going to get blown up, I think, because of that fastball. I also, like, there's a really good chance the Orioles just said, we're going to move you because your shoulder is scary, and you've had shoulder problems before. Um, mm. So that's always something that we need to keep in the back of our minds. But for now, I have no problem drafting Dylan Buddy next year. Yeah, I think he's someone, as Eric referenced, getting kind of out of the O's culture. Just for, just for the Who's fact Eric? of... Who's Eric? Oh, the, the Doc. The Doc, oh, sorry. Yeah, the doc, thank you so much. The Doc, and then uh, yeah, a little cheesecake there. I'll, <laughs> I'll use their actual names. Here. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, one guy I wanted to mention 
is, and I know at Pitcherless, you guys are really good with this, where you guys have, you know, the, the King Cole, you guys have the, uh, the Gallows Pole, the, the yeah. Toby Pitcher, the Bag of Skittles. I think you guys just straight <laughs> came up with and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're starting to do a couple of that stuff here, too. And uh, right. one of the things that I like to do is if they have a lot of blue in their uh, – in their uh, baseball savant page, I'll refer to him as a Mr. Freeze. Oh, love it. <laughs> love it. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. And uh, so one of the guys on the list that I looked at is Josh James. And if you pull up his baseball savant page, it is full of just blue everywhere, which is my favorite color. So I like seeing it anywhere but this page. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, gosh, like his, his ex-WOBA is in the worst one percentile. His hard hit, rate, hard hit percentage was in the bottom 34 percentile. And you just look at all his numbers and I mean, it's, it's just horrific. And uh, his X percentages are all obviously higher than what they're supposed to be. His walk percentage this year was 22.2%. So he's walking, you know, over one out of every five guys he's facing. I mean, obviously, I think he was going to regress uh, positively some. But this guy, to me, he was getting talked about so much as the next potentially great Astros pitcher. And until I see anything change with his control, because guys aren't guys are just he's just letting, you know, he's not his stuff isn't good to stay in the zone. Um, and he's walking guys. And then when he's. Finally having, you know, he's down in the count, having to throw a pitch across the middle. They're ready for it, and they're killing it. And that's evidenced by his 11 ERA. So I, you know I know probably – oh, go ahead. I said, do you know his whip? Oh, my God. Uh, he had, oh, his whip was 2.56. Oh my yeah, that's – So that, that's, that's a visual eyesore right there. Yeah, yeah so I, I look, I, he's going to go undrafted next year, but – I need. I'm not going to buy into him. I'm not going to be one of those people that I, if his first outing he goes three innings off a piggyback roll, goes three innings and six Ks, zero runs. I'm not mm-hmm. rushing to pick him up. I need to see a continued uh, progression from him that he can kind of keep the ball closer to the zone, limit his walks. The, the only way I take him is because I like that he has two first names. It's a crowd pleaser, I know. Um. Was there anybody? I think there were two other names on this list. It, I think it was Musgrove uh, and Zach Gallon. Zach, Zach Gallon. I, I mean, Zach That's Gallon's obvious. the golden boy. He's he's yeah. Zach Gallon. Um, so we. I mean, if there's anything you guys want to say on Joe Musgrove, as we'll move to the next category. I I, well, I actually yeah. I think I'm I'm liking Musgrove's. Uh, pitching, he has two pitches. He throws six pitches actually right now, and two of them are. Kind of dog poop. Uh, sorry to disparage dogs with Joe Musgrove uh, pitches. <laughs> You're but, forgiven. But, but he can throw four pitches that are performing pretty well, and that's more than enough pitches. I, I mean, right now his his K per nine is way up, but, but it's because his base on balls per nine is way up. His actual K percentage is down. So that's one of those he, – he's a perfect example of why you look at K percentage and not K per nine because this year his walk percentage is – is 11 where it was at five last year. So his K per nine is at like 10.8, but his strikeout percentage is actually down. But I, but I mean, if you look at him, his barrels and his exit velocity are pretty good. Uh, it's actually, uh, his, his exit velo is, is elite. Um, so I, I'm, I'm still, uh, dipping my toe. I'm going to, I'm going to look at him again next year. He always gets hurt first stints. And I don't know if that's, if that's something you can, really ding him for but uh to me uh 
I would like to see him build some momentum and, and then like finish the season on the field. Obviously uh, he's pitching now, thankfully, but he missed three starts or so already mm-hmm. uh, because of injury. Um, so I'd like to see him finish out. I think, uh, I think he needs to refine his pitch mix a little bit because he's thrown too many in my opinion. Uh, but, uh, but I, I still like Musgrove a little bit. Can there ever be too much of a good thing with too many pitches? Unless you're you Darvish, that's the only guy yeah. that I'm like, all right, you can throw as many pitches as you want. As frustrating that is, I agree with you on Musgrove. I mean, this is kind of a lost year from him. I mean, he's got so many pitches that can access so many different parts of the zone. He can beat you up with the four seamer. He can go away with the curve. He can go in with the changeup. He can go up and away with the with the cutter. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a lost year from him. And I think it's a great point about the injury. It's just something that you're going to have to bake into your projections moving forward. Obviously, it's not going to hurt you as much over the course of a full season, right? He misses a week. He misses two weeks. It's not that big of a deal. I do. I do want to say one thing about Josh James, too. I think this could be the last time we we see them stretch him out as a starter, even to begin with. I mean, if you think about how many injuries that the Astros had to deal with this year and they still were not willing to stretch out Josh James, they even said, all right, we're going to have Luis Garcia come up and pitch a little bit. And they're in the middle of a playoff hunt right now. I don't even think they're like qualified for the playoffs or something right now. I think they're like a few games out of the wild card. So I think if, if that's happening. They don't trust in Josh James's ability. They already tried to revamp his mechanics in the offseason. So yeah, I, I I don't I don't I don't know if I'm really gonna buy into that moving forward. But Joe Musgrove, I think is as you said, if we bake in those injuries moving forward, there is still so much upside that he can access if we start to see that velo creep back up to what it was last year. There's a lot of good upside there. Joe Musgrove and sell high are synonyms, just in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> I was going to say is Joe Musgrove must own, but uh, you think yours is better air. Oh, that actually reminds me. Every time you bring up Mr. Freeze, you, oh, there's Tokyo right there. Uh, she wanted to talk about Joe Musgrove. Um, every time you bring up Mr. Freeze, you have to, have you ever seen like that super cut of all of the awful puns that Arnold Schwarzenegger has no. in Batman Forever? It's like it's three minutes of like every awful line he has in that movie. And I think it's really important for you guys moving forward to have a few of those in your back pocket. Oh, Oh we'll have to put a lot of those in there. Okay, I I remember one where he goes, freeze well, (laughs) freeze well. Yes, dude. It, that that's just oh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, my friend. <laughs> Cheesecake, you're gonna have to educate us real quick here. You're gonna have to help us help us. We're missing that in our show. So I, I mean, I'm a little bit older. I remember when Michael Keaton's Batman came out and how awesome that was. Hell yeah! And then Batman Two, and then they did a um, a Val Kilmer Batman. Yep. And I think Schwarzenegger was in the Clooney Batman, which yes. is the worst. Batman that has ever been made. But what was what was the? You remember the thing about that Batman? It he had nipples. It was oh, the first right. time the bat the- suit had nipples, <laughs> and everyone was like, Free "Why? Did- <laughs> yeah. Like why? Did- why does Mister Freeze exist in the bat suit with nipples? Like that just doesn't <laughs> that doesn't work. Like it was awful. God, that was such a terrible movie. It was bad. It was bad. So you guys want to hear something funny? I was so excited to have Alex fast, and I forgot to plug in my mic. <laughs> and I just thought Alex talking, and I was like, "Wait a second, I didn't plug my mic in." <laughs> I, I don't worry about it. That's all good. You still sound beautiful. Oh, thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move to our next category here, and we're going to be looking at pitchers that started out in 2019. They were great, and then 2020, they've completely just face planted. And there are a couple of pitchers on this list I have personal beef with. Mm. But cheesecake, I'll start with you. Who do you want to bring up first from this list? Uh Matthew Boyd. 
<laughs> so yeah, let it out, Art. Let it out. So uh, he he had a pretty bad start yesterday, and I ate it all, and I swallowed the gravy on that one. Oh my God! It was nine earned runs in like a like, Matthew Boyd. You had pitched well against Minnesota twice in a row. I thought, okay, Milwaukee is kind of a middling offense this year. Did did do you owe them money? Because you earned a few contract extensions yesterday. Uh, Matthew Boyd, you are a terrible human being. Um, um, no, I only say that because I'm speaking to a Boyd boy right now. Um, but, you know, I, I, I look through uh, his profile a little bit, and there's not a whole lot that I can see that's changed from last year. Uh, but I have see, I did notice something, and this is just a theory I have. His four-seamer is moving a lot more horizontally than it was last year. And so maybe he's not placing it where he wants to because it's getting hit pretty hard. Uh, his four-seamer in 2019 had a 235 batting average against his hit, 334 against us this year. And really the velo is – pretty much the same. It's the horizontal movement that to me is different. So I'm guessing he's just not placing it. His off speed, um, uh, his off speed stuff is still performing relatively well. His slide is not as elite as it was last year, but it still should be, it's still getting the job done. Uh, Boyd feels like he's kind of close, but from looking at his profile, the only thing I can see is, uh, is that four seamers moving on him a little too much. That's all I can tell. Yeah, that's that's a super interesting point. I mean, listen, there's no two bones about it. I I I, re- I really don't have problems admitting when I'm wrong, and I was definitely wrong about Matthew Boyd. And the the important thing isn't going, you know, doing a mea culpa tour, right? The important <laughs> thing is finding out why you were wrong and what you can learn from it, right? So you can grow as an analyst because we're always going to be wrong. There's always going to be guys that we're passionate about that we're wrong about. The thing that I was wrong about with Matthew Boyd is I didn't realize how low the floor could go and mm-hmm. what would happen when the slider went away. I got so excited in the offseason because we saw changeups that were striking out DJ LeMahieu in spring training. We saw curveballs that, although they were show me curveballs, had a lot of really nice movement to them. And we said, hey, not only did he get one new pitch in the changeup but that he was bringing back revamped, but he got another pitch in the curveball. So now we have four pitches that he can lean on and have success with. What I didn't realize is how much he really leaned on that slider. And when that slider went away, he went away with it. What was encouraging is after three starts of abysmal slider usage where he got completely decimated, he said, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm upping the changeup usage. I'm going to start throwing the changeup a little bit more. What I wanted to see is that happen in the second start. Say, hey, I'm going to keep throwing this changeup and I'm going to work on this slider. And once I get the slider, we'll bring it back in there. And you're right. He had four starts, Minnesota, Minnesota, Chicago, White Sox, Cleveland, 3.38 ERA with a 34% CSW rate. And I was like, he's back. He's figuring it out. And Mm -hmm. then the command went away again with that four-seamer, and it reminded us once again how low that floor can go. Anyone who is interested in draft is not interested in drafting Matt Boyd for the rest of their tenure as a fantasy baseball player. I completely understand. It's my job as an analyst to take a step back and say, okay, let's remove all the biases. Let's remove the subjectivity here and see what's going on. There are four pitches. Granted, the fastball velo isn't great, but the command can be better. There are four pitches there that he can build to be a successful pitcher. Whether or not he puts that together, we just don't know. We can't guarantee. I think next year, he's someone that you can take at the very end of your drafts, right? And if he burns you in the first two starts, hey, 
That was fun. We don't have to worry about a seven-week sprint fantasy season. We've got 24 weeks left to build back up your pitching core. There is enough upside there that he can still be someone who returns high value, but I completely understand people who are out. I remember he when he had his first game against Cincinnati, oh, God. and there was bases loaded, no outs to start the inning. And I immediately checked who owned him in my league, and I was like, wow, it's going to be a long year for Matthew Boyd. Yeah, man. And he hit someone, I believe. I believe he hit a guy. I believe he, he, hit, he hit two batters in the first inning. Yeah. He, and he, one of those was a, was a, uh, I think it was like Nicholas Castellanos, and it walked in a run. It, it was, oh, man, that star. I just, I was like sitting where I was now, just like, oh, God, this is going to, this is going to suck. So, Alex, I'm interested. Do you think if he kind of did what Dylan Bundy did, since his slider is so good, he throws his slider about 27% of the time and his fastball is closer to 50%, do you think if he upped his slider usage um, and decreased the fastball usage a little bit, that might help him at all? Or do you think that's it's not as simple as that for him? Maybe. I think where he struggles would be the zone rate with the slider, right? I think Bundy has a better job of like dropping in that slider for strikes. And aside from the fastball, I don't know if he has something else that he can consistently throw four strikes which could be a problem if he does work on that that would be great but that slider is like so sweeping you know what i mean that it might be tough for him to command it a little bit better okay fair enough doc who's on your list that you want to talk about here um do you want to talk about frankie montes and i'll chip in no i'm not talking don't mention that name in my presence Go ahead. <laughs> i know a lot of people were big on him this year i was skeptical from the start because he was suspended 80 games for ped use and whether that was to recover from injuries or that was actually making him more effective, I was skeptical. He has eight starts this year. He's only gone more than five innings pitched twice. It's not like, oh, he has arm fatigue because he had 80 games to rest. <laughs> he's, he's walking about four and a half per nine innings, and he's allowed five home runs in his last four starts, which has been 14.2 innings. Only has six, K, six plus Ks in one game this year. And overall, his stats are a 5.73 ERA, a 1.54 whip. I think he's gotten lucky that he doesn't have more losses because he has a good offense backing him up. But I just don't think we know what Frankie Montas is because when he looked really good last year and was an ace, then we found out he's busted for cheating, has two good starts to begin the year. Maybe it's because batters are getting back into the swing of things. They're not used to seeing fastballs. I think pitchers had a little bit of an advantage at first, but it seems like as the batter started getting more acclimated, he got hit more hard. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that uh, – and Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He's not throwing his splitter as much. I I think his, his splitter is – he's throwing it like less than 10 times a game, right? Yeah, I think the usage is down, which makes sense because it's such a feel pitch, and I don't know if he has the feel for anything except for the bat against the ball. So it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's tough for him right now. I yeah. was noticing he has uh, his launch angle in 18 and 19 went down to about 10. It's back up to about 17. I think this is the first evidence that steroids brings down pitchers' launch angles. So that's wow. That. That's All right, the I think you need evidence. to write an article on that and see if it, and see if you can correlate it. It's anecdotal. I mean, I got I don't have much to go on yet, but <laughs> you just have to start. Stages. You have to start taking steroids and see if it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, the the interesting thing about I'm not going to use his name, but the interesting thing about that guy is his his uh his like percentile rankings. He's like a human torch, like it's all red, and so it's like you're like okay, like he's in the the top percentile rankings and everything. The only thing he's really been bad is his his expected batting average um is is you know in the bottom five percent of the league. 
Um, but he's still, uh, I mean, his barrel rate isn't quite as good as last year. His barrel rate was the top 4% of the league, and this year it's up to about 6%. Um, but, uh, I mean, his strikeout rate is obviously down. His walk rate is up. His ERA, his expected ERA is a 4-4-2, so it's a whole over a run lower than his ERA right now. I don't think he's this bad. I just don't know if he's the Frankie Montas that was on steroids. Uh, and you don't I mean, like yeah. Go ahead. I, I we we don't really know what steroids do for a pitcher other than recovery time and perhaps right. extra training. I I don't we don't know for sure if performance is helped with steroids, which is why I never played paid that any mind that he was coming back from a from a suspension in this year. I thought he was going to come back and and be Frankie Montas, and this I mean this small sample size. He could come. He could shove the rest of the season, and no one would be surprised. Yeah, I I, I personally want to believe that. I I don't personally think it's too um, steroid associated. I mean that 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 splitter really is not there. You look at the K zone plot and the splitter, and it's just all over the place. He doesn't have the feel for the pitch right now. He doesn't have like I, you know I was being facetious earlier, but he doesn't really have the feel for a lot of things. And that barrel rate is essentially doubling right now. Uh, same you know the expected a- batting average is jumping up. He's just not performing the same way. He's one of those guys that like maybe this season kind of shows that we. We were a little bit too optimistic on what could happen with him, but I think a full offseason, a full spring training might benefit him next year. That's a good point. Um, Alex, I want you to pick. I have uh, an Oriole on this list. I don't know if that's where you wanted to go next, but uh, if any of the ones left, who do you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'll, I'm going to go with Chris Paddock, actually. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paddock, I, I noticed something interesting about his, you know, Right now, it's the fastball, right? The changeup is still really, really good. It's still performing really well. I believe it actually even has a higher swinging strike rate than it did last year. The fastball is really what's problematic. There's a really fun leaderboard on Baseball Savant that, like, and I can't even keep up with Baseball Savant. Like, even working for the company, like every day, Darren Woolman and Tom Tango and Mike Petriello, they have like a new stat and a new leaderboard. And I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> and they have one, uh, and then they, I have to make like a YouTube tutorial about it. And by the time I'm done recording it, they have like 15 new leaderboards. And I'm like, all right, that's great. Um, so one of them is a, is a swing take leaderboard. And what they did is Tom Tango and all of his infinite wisdom. He's an, you know, obviously just an incredibly brilliant mind breaks down each pitch into a run value, right? Um, a strike for a pitcher is a negative run value, which is a good thing, right? You want negative runs. If you're a pitcher, a ball is a positive run value. And let's just say a strike is negative 0.25 and a ball is, is positive plus 0.25. And they add all of those up. And then what they do is they break them down by zone. So there's heart of the plate. There's shadow, which is the strike zone, essentially like a little bit in a little bit out can be in or out. Then there's chase, which you would get a lot of breaking pitches in, and then a waste pitch, which just doesn't even matter. And what they do is they say, hey, who had the most run value over the heart of the plate? Who was really succeeding over the heart of the plate? And then they break it down by pitch. Who had the best run value on fastballs over the heart of the plate? Meaning how many strikes do they get? How much weak contact do they induce, right? Last year, Chris Paddock had a negative six run value over the heart of the plate on four seamers. He did a really good job of putting the four seamer over the heart of the plate because guys were saying, A, I'm not going to be able to catch up to it. Or B, is this a change up? I'm just going to swing at it and I don't know what's going to happen. This year, he went from negative six to positive six on four seamers over the heart of the plate. That is the fourth 
worst in baseball. He's just not having success. So while I am, while I do not believe that that's it, there goes Chris Paddock. I think if we do see him get that four seamer back, we're back to where we were in 2019 and that we need to be last year with Chris Paddock. It was, he's got a fastball. It's dope. He's got a change up. It's dope. Doesn't have a curveball. Doesn't have anything else. And I think that's what we want to get him back to. So I think he can be what he was in 2019. I'm just excited to see if we can return the conversation to, all right, all he needs is a changeup. Oh, excuse me. All he needs is a curveball because right now he needs his fastball back. Then he can worry about the curveball. You know, this is completely unrelated, but with all that information you said, I can see why the Astros cheated or why more teams <laughs> work. There's just infinite, infinite information out infinite. there. Infinite, dude. I learned something new every single friggin' day about this sport. Like there, there are times where I'm talking to friends and it's like, how much baseball could we possibly talk about? And then every day there's just, I, I feel like an idiot every day. Every day I wake up and feel like an idiot every day. You know what's funny though is like, when, we, when we first like when we first like started doing this like and we had you on and you were talking about the stuff like I didn't know a lot of the, the statistics analytics and all that and as we've been going on and I'll talk with my friends and I probably know less than a quarter of what you know and it's they're like they're like what swinging strike rate or they're like what PSW is like and it's like it's like oh man it's like yeah like I'm, I haven't even like touched the cusp of everything and it's like. I can't even imagine how much more and more there is. It's crazy. There's so much more. I, I truly feel like I don't know anything all the time. But the best thing that I talk to people about when they talk to me about like advanced metrics is like, don't you want to know why the players you hate suck? Like, don't you really, <laughs> really want to know? Like, it's not just like, oh, they strike out. Like, you want to be able to destroy them. Like, this is why <laughs> they suck. Yeah. I feel like you and Nick, it's just like I'm waiting for you to say, well, we landed the job of a lifetime. We're going to be the pitching coaches for the, the Baltimore Orioles or something. I am very dumb at the end of the day. Very dumb. <laughs> uh, there's, I think we didn't touch on Means and we didn't touch on Mike Miner or Corbin. So the one thing I will touch on for this category for Corbin, speaking of someone that's owned Corbin, his, his fastball velocity I know is down to, I think it's averaging about like 88, 89. Um, and if your your fastball is that low, you better have the off speed stuff to complement. He usually has his slider complementing pretty well, uh, but if, if you look at his uh, his baseball savant page, I mean, again, he's a Mister Freeze, everything except barrel percentage. But uh, looking at his uh, his batting average versus his slider, uh, if I have it right here, his batting average versus slider this year is one forty seven. So I mean, he's his slider still being actually pretty effective. But every other pitch is above his league average or above. So, um, so if he can't fool anybody else with any of his pitches, uh, then it's a problem. And the only besides his obviously his whiff rate on his slider is really good, as it usually is forty percent. But his other pitch, the highest pitch besides that is curveball twenty five, and the rest are really low. So um, this is a pitcher that likes to strike a lot of guys out, and right now he's having a problem doing that, throwing a soft fastball. So. Um, I don't know if that's just he had problems ramping up. I'm, I'm interested to see when he has a full off season if his fastball velocity will go back up. Well, David, you know what something was really interesting is, I mean, we're we're Nationals fans, and you know we've watched. I'm a, I'm a Twins fan. You're a Nationals fan. Okay. Well, so his first four games, he pitched 23 innings and he had four walks. His last four games, and he's pitched 22.2 innings, so roughly the same sample size, and he's walked 11 batters. And just even with the, the eye test of watching these games, he doesn't seem as confident early in the count. He's trying to get batters to chase more. 
And uh, it's just something interesting I've noticed because, you know, it's not like he's getting bombed for eight runs and leaving after two. He's pitching five, six innings, most outings, mm-hmm. um, you know, throwing a high pitch count, but just doesn't seem to be attacking the zone as much. Yeah, I think he was doing that against the Astros last year in the uh, in the World Series, if I'm not mistaken. And in the playoffs, I remember him laboring through his outings. Like he was he was not efficient at all. And he was just I was wondering watching on TV. I was like, if I was the Astros, I was like, he's literally just throwing a bunch of sliders out of the zone. If you don't swing, like he's just going to walk a bunch of players like they're just chasing and, and like letting him off the hook pretty much. So, yeah, I, I agree that he's someone that oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh no, that was. I, 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 I wanted to talk a little bit about minor. So why don't, why don't you talk about, why don't you talk about um, uh, Corbin a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I, I echo everything that you guys said. I mean, I think he just needs a full off season. I, I don't believe this is the pitcher that he is right now. Last year, he lost his fastball a little bit, and then he got it back. This is just a shortened season. He can't do that. He needs to be 92, 93 to be effective. He's not right now. He's not effective. I think he'll be fine next year. Yeah, and, and, and Miner, I think, is facing some of the same issues as Corbin. Miner's mile per hour is down across the board on all of his pitches this year. And the thing that really struck me is that none of his pitches are really getting creamed. Like everything's performing, but not as well as it was, and it's leading to these this over-5 ERA. T- to me, he's just a small sample size, darling, right now. And uh, I expect him to either smooth out or just – have this small sample size continue for the seven weeks of this season, you know? Uh, but I, I don't see any reason to worry about minor for next year. I think a regular ramp up might be just fine for him. LC, I respectfully disagree with you. I did some research on minor. So you did? Oh, wow. Go ahead. You did research? I, a, a little. This is weird. Okay. Go ahead. Bro. You don't call him doctor for nothing. <laughs> I played MLB 2K11 the other day. There's your research. And oh, that was his second year. I almost didn't recognize him. Oh, He's turning 33 in um, December. He looks old. I haven't seen someone age that much in like eight or nine years. It's He just looks very, very old. Um, his ERA the past three years, including this year, 4.18, 3.59, 6.35. I think at best, maybe a pitcher three. And he's not a big strikeout guy. He's only had a higher or nine or more strikeout per nine twice in his career. A, in his rookie season when he was 22. And then in 2017, when he had missed two years for surgery when he was 29. I just don't think that he has the swing and miss stuff anymore. I think he's kind of in Cole Hamill's territory where you stream him if he has a good matchup, but I don't think that you're going to depend on him for consistently good outings. That's a bold take. You're putting him in Cole Hamill's territory. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Okay. Well, if he, if he's a streamer next year, I will be the first to tag you and give you credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move to our last category here. And these are pitchers that are dipping their toes in the water of greatness that can make that leap to being really relevant next year. And some pitchers that kind of burst on the scene out of nowhere. And we're talking about Sixto Sanchez, Ian Anderson, Dane Dunning, Kevin Gosman, Randy Dobnak, and Tony Goslin, just to name a few of these kind of pitchers that kind of came out of nowhere or from the minor leagues. So, uh, Alex, out of this list, I have a hunch where you're going, uh, but go ahead. Who are you starting with? I'm going to throw you for a loop. I'm going to throw you for a loop. I'm going to talk about Ian Anderson. 
Okay, yeah, that's not what I expected. I I really don't... Ian Anderson is not a bad pitcher by any stretch of the imagination. I don't love the movement profile on a lot of his pitches. <clears throat> his curveball is not like jaw dropping, right? It's not, and and that's not what he's trying to be. He's not trying to be your 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 Rich Hill, where he's just like, oh my god, that thing just falls off a table. It's a pure twelve six. Um, same thing with his fastball, and same thing with his changeup. I think the thing that Ian Anderson can really get by on is the the high release point, right? He's kind of an overhand thrower. You have no idea where the pitch is coming up. He's almost like James Karinchak, and that it's just like it's all the way up here, and it's totally different from that three quarters arm delivery. And I think we see that when we see the second time through the order penalty right he goes from having a 189 batting average against to a 269 batting average against and the woba from the second time to the third time through the order jumps up to like 364 365 i'm generally not um i don't wait a lot of third time through the order statistics because i think they're a little bit flawed in that if you're really doing well you're going the third time through the order. If you're not really doing well, you're probably not going to see the third time through the order. Um, so I don't necessarily know how much I buy into that, but that big penalty between first and second time through the order leads me to believe that the more film guys watch on him, the more they can pick up on that high release point, the less he's going to be able to rely on that ability to, you know, uh, deceive guys a little bit. Uh, so I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm saying, hey, don't draft Ian Anderson, but I am afraid of what, there are certain things that stick in our mind over the course of a season. And the thing that is going to stick in people's minds is the virtual no hitter that he threw against the Yankees in his opening day in his, in his debut. Right. And that is what stays in our heads. Um, I would just caution against that, letting, uh, letting that inflate him next year for drafts. Mm-hmm. It's a fair point. He isn't, is he gone more than six innings in any of his starts so far? I, I don't think so. Yeah, so I mean, if that, they're that scared of him going to the third time to the order, and his first time being called up when they're not familiar with him, that does kind of scare me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheesecake, who you got? I think it was Yogi Berra who said the definition, I don't know who said it, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And the definition of insanity is thinking Kevin Gossman is for real. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm okay. I'm tired of this man teasing me. <laughs> I'm tired of him coming on at the end of the season and pretending like he loves me when he doesn't. Sure. Uh, this, you on. this this is a mirage. I don't know, have any reason to say it is, but I don't believe it for a second. Mm-hmm. I will tell you. That splitter is – people are hitting 108 against the splitter this year, and he's throwing it 42% of the time. Um, usually, from my uh, memory of the analysis, it, the early season he's picking up the feel of the splitter. Maybe it's cold weather he's picking up the feel of the splitter. They had a whole bunch of theories why he couldn't throw the splitter well in April when he was in Baltimore, but why in July, August, September he was throwing well. Uh, I'm telling you – if Kevin Gosman comes out next year and pitches really well, I'm not going to have a single share of it because I don't believe this guy for a second is going to come out next year and be this good again. Or, 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 I mean, is he in San Francisco again after this year? Is he signed for two years or is this a one year contract? Uh, I also would wonder uh, if this might lead to a big contract. I think he might be on a one year deal. I'm not sure if this might lead to a big contract and wondering where he ends up next year, whether that might affect San Francisco in in the middle of summer when he's not warming up his splitter. I don't, I don't know. I don't trust the man. 
He's going to take you to second base, but he's not going to go all the way. Okay. That's my advice for you. You were right. He is a free agent this year. Okay. Oh, yeah. he's I, and so he's nice going to get a big contract. Someone's going to sign up for 17 to $20 million a year after this season. And, and, uh, and he's going to probably the Phillies and, uh, <laughs> And um, and he's going to go ten and fourteen next year. It, it's going to be the Alex Cobb contract where it's like four, what was it four for sixty or four for eighty? Yeah, it was. I, I try to block it from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the O's thing. He signed mediocre pitchers to big contracts. There's a lot of teams that do it. You don't have to pick on the O's just because Alex is here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I appreciate it. He's a friend of the pod now, so we have this relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> And th- that's what hurts too. I mean, finally he was putting it all together again. That splitter was like a top five, you know, splitter by swinging strike rate. Then he just gets injured again, and then it, it, it hurts. When it comes to Kevin Gaussman, I mean, I very much hear that. I think Paul Spore is the exact same way. He's like, yeah. I'm ready to get hurt again. Come on, Kevin, let's do it. <laughs> I, I think there are things. Say it again. Play with my heart. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he did for many years as an Oriole fan. But I think with him, it's like you see the increased fastball velocity, and I think that's really important with him. And he's doing something interesting with the command of the fastball. He's doing something that Alex Cobb did and that another guy in this list, Tony Gonsolin, is doing, which is really interesting, where you know the name of the game right now is elevated fastballs, and Kevin Gaussman's doing the opposite. He's putting it right at your knees, and guys have no idea whether it's going to be a splitter that falls out of the zone or a fastball that comes right in at your knees at 95 miles an hour. That last start against the Diamondbacks was absolutely fantastic for him. Uh, I am very curious to see where he ends up, what kind of staff he ends up with. I think that could be very telling for what his future looks like, uh, and I think we'll put it on pause. I think let's see if he's going to it won't happen, but if he went to Tampa, I'd be like, okay, all right. Uh, oh yeah. But, it, you know, if he goes to, you know, I don't know. If he goes to, I don't know, who's, who doesn't develop pitchers well? Anyone, any other team oh. that's not Tampa. Yeah, sure. If he goes to the Cubs, if he goes to the Cubs, then, uh, or if he goes to the, even the White Sox, I don't love what they do. Uh, then I'm like, mm, I don't know about it. White right. Sox actually might be interesting. They need some more depth. They might want to get some cheap arms. He could be a White Sox. That would be, that would be interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, speaking as the Twins fan on here, I'll just touch on Randy Dobnak. I think it's, I think you and, uh, and Nick mentioned that it's interesting that a lot of pitchers are going away from the heavy fastball usage and they're using their off-speed stuff a lot more. Um, and it's, he throws a fastball less than 5% of the time mm. and he relies on all his other pitches. But, I mean, he's everybody's been saying it all year. They were just waiting. I think what do you call him? Like, well, no, it's not Cherry Bomb. It's uh, the guy, uh, the um, – the uh, Vargas rule. Yes. The Vargas rule. <laughs> yeah. Aww. And uh, that it's like, you were going to ride him until, and then when he blew up, you're like, yeah, it's over. And I was, that, and, and basically a, a not putting it that way, but in, in the, my own way, I was like, yeah, I'm waiting for him to, this, he's not this good. And Dobby doesn't strike out pitchers. And you guys, yeah, it's, it's like at the end of the day, like his X stats are a, a way above his actual stats. And mm-hmm. like, you knew that he, I mean, he doesn't have overpowering stuff. And I think the more he kind of was seen by teams, they were picking up on it. And I'm completely staying away from him. Even if he finishes out the year decent, I'm not touching him next year. I um, think he's a ratio guy. Mm-hmm. It's a good call. Yeah. Um, one, let's touch on one more guy and then we'll move on to the question of the week here. Uh, one guy that's interesting because I've heard his name obviously talked about a bunch, Sixto Sanchez. People are talking about, I've heard people say, you should creep into the top 30 starting pitchers next year, which I think is pretty crazy considering he started, what, three, four games now? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm interested, Alex, to hear your thoughts on Sixto Sanchez. If 
if he's obviously not 1.8 ERA good, but if you think he's going to be a top 30 starting pitcher next year. No, I don't. Uh, I think it's another thing where there's a lot of helium based on the, the, the really sexy gifts and the, you know, the Craig Mish tweets and stuff like that. But then you look at his line, he's more of the five or six K's per outing than he is the 10 K's per outing that he was against the Rays. And I thought the Blue Jays did something really interesting when I watched that one start against the Blue Jays. I was like, you know, I had a night where I was going to be able to watch some baseball. I was sitting down watching the start and I was ready to make some really awesome Sixto Sanchez gifts. And the Blue Jays just said, you know what? I'm just going to swing on the first pitch and swing on the second pitch and I'm going to put the ball in play and I'm going to see what happens. And while I do think there is a lot of really exciting upside for Sixto Sanchez, I don't think he's going to be able to give you the ratios to support being a top 30 arm next year. His slider really needs some work. I'd be curious to see what he does with the usage of the pitch, because right now he's leaving it right over the heart of the plate and it's just getting absolutely demolished. The changeup fastball combination is obviously fantastic, and he's going to be able to work off that changeup fastball combination to be able to establish a more successful third pitch if he doesn't have it already. Um, so while I don't really think, hey, this is a guy who's going to be top 25, top 30. This is a guy who's going to be able to be your solid number two moving forward. Mm. He should be able to get drafted later on and be your quality four or five guy. But come on, we're talking about the fantasy baseball industry. We're going to watch that ADP creep up, and he's going to be probably <laughs> one of the more overdrafted guys next year. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Um, what I don't think you can understate is that he has swag. He's, he has the little Juan Soto uh, leg yeah. kick on the mound. Yes. I think the confidence can sometimes take you a long way. Like Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is probably the most confident pitcher. And I don't think if he had that moxie or that edge to him, he would be nearly as good. Fair. It's fair. Nice job, guys, with the analysis. I want to move to the, the little bit more fun part of the show here. And we're going to start with our question of the week. Stay cool, bad boy. Sponsored by Manscaped, fantasy baseball season is entering its twilight stage. Due to quarantine, it's very possible that you might have Dustin May's hair ginger guard in your pants that's why our partners at manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving your balls the same way you like to gamble on baseball when it comes to man's hygiene manscaped is as good and safe as jacob de grom in his csw think about that you're telling me i get jacob de grom csw precision i'm all in this experience is firsthand before the show and now i'm smooth as a baby's bottom and the girlfriend fiance is very happy the lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man due to its ceramic blade and skin-safe technology. Your nicks and snags will be reduced. This is perfect protection as I have my closer coming out of my box bullpen. The Lawn Mower 3.0 is also waterproof, has an LED light on it, and it's the complete game changer. Manscaped just released their Shears 2.0 kit, which is perfect to your add to your Lawn Mower 3.0 trimmer. And let's face it, no one likes ungrooved set of fingers, feet, and most importantly, your baseballs. That's why the grooming, game, the grooming game has changed with the Perfect Package 3.0. Their Perfect Package 3.0 might as well be called a perfect game because it comes with the new and improved lawnmower, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use whenever you're done quarantining, quarantining and some other liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver are game changers. You want to soothe your aloe to your strike zone and give your testes the driveline baseball type of boost. You're going to buy these. For limited time, subscribers get one, but not not just one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance and eye chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. 
Get 20% off at manscaped.com using the code triple play. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code triple play. It's time to give your testies the absolute besties with Manscaped. Nice. Those those briefs too, they're they're way more expensive than I would ever buy for myself. I like, I like wear them. And then like, they're like the first thing I take out of the laundry after I do my laundry. They're really nice. That's the compliment. It's like, it's like I have Fruit of the Loom and then I have my Manscaped ones. That's like the one, my, my, my best pair. They're really nice. Always got to plug in the ball deodorant. Ball deodorant's a game changer. It really is. I didn't even know that was an option. Oh yeah. It's like you come in from like a, a jog and you want to make the, you want to make the testes smell good really quick. Just give them a spritz. It's like, it's, it's an actual game changer. Um, when you say testes, it kind of, kind of, kind of weirds me out. <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, so our question of the week sponsored by manscaped mm-hmm. who was the hardest submarine pitcher to hit against all time so there's a lot of good options here and alex you're the guest so i'm gonna start with you i'm gonna say that it was dan quisenberry i think dan quisenberry was was one of them well, put her down it was one of the more dominant uh sidearm dude i think he had like a 1.17 career whip or something with like a era plus of like 146 or something like that yeah 146 era plus one point yeah it was 1.17 whip uh you look at all the other submarine throwers i mean i think he has to be probably the only one who got cy young votes multiple times he had five different times where he got multiple Cy Young votes multiple MVP votes uh one of the few guys to be a multiple um uh all-star so I'm going with Dan Quisenberry Cheesecake you said you did a deep dive today so I'm interested to hear who you picked yeah uh sorry if my analysis today was a little bit subpar because I spent about two hours on this submarine (laughs) question last night uh I I mean I have been waiting one of my favorite all-time players is a 1940s and 50s pitcher named Ewell Blackwell. Mm-hmm. His nickname was The Whip. Uh, they said his delivery looked like a man falling out of a tree. It was a sidearm snaps delivery. Uh, the delivery eventually ended his career, but this guy was a six-time consecutive all-star. And Hall of Famers Roy Campanella and Ralph Kiner said he was the best right-handed pitcher they ever faced. So, like – you know, when I was a kid reading old-timey baseball magazines, this is a guy that I really loved. And um, so this guy's best season was 22-8 and eight with a 2.47 ERA. He pitched 17 consecutive complete game wins in that season. Uh, six, Like I said, a six-time consecutive All-Star. He was six foot six, 195. Uh, Vin Scully said that hitters were genuinely afraid to face him hmm. because – of how nasty he was. This is a man who lost three years of his career to World War II. He was a mess sergeant over there. So cooking uh, cooking meals for, for World War II soldiers, lost three of his prime years. Uh, I, I love, there's a great YouTube clip, at the Dizzy Dean radio show on YouTube, where he talks about a UL Blackwell start. And if you're romantic like I am about the way baseball was described by radio announcers back in the 30s and 40s. It is such a pleasure to watch uh, and to listen to. There's 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 fan uh, um, letters to uh, – there's a mailbag, sorry. There's a mailbag to Dizzy Dean that he answers on the show uh, talking about uh, how, you know, who's going to win the pennant, and he gets to talk about 1948 baseball. It's such a pleasure, cool. and it also does a really, uh, really good – he does a really good job describing Ewell Blackwell – 
uh, and, and a great anecdote about him as well. So I, I'm giving you guys another YouTube clip to watch. Mm, it sounds like great. an FDR fireside shadow. Mm, yeah, it's kind. It kind of is. Yeah, Dizzy Dean. That. Dizzy Dean. Uh, he's he's an old he's an old school like uneducated guy. I'm gonna learn you about pitching now. He, mm. Like it, it's it's awesome. Mm. Well, I've got a. Uh, Alex's Mr. Freeze puns up that I'm going to be watching after the show. That'll be next. Uh, go ahead, Doc. You have to follow that, so go ahead. All right, well, it's not going to be good, but I just needed to say this name for Alex. Jared Bradford. Hey. Uh, Chad Chad Bradford. Well, I thought he was going to say, too. Yeah. And, Chad uh, Bradford. You know, I, I, David didn't have that question completely closed. So I'm doing who was the hardest submarine hitter to hit an MVP baseball 2005. <laughs> I could not hit Chad Bradford like that. Yeah, of course. Really, like, he threw so many rising fastballs, and it was just so hard to hit. So yeah. honorable mention to former Oriole, and uh, I'll pass it on to you, David. Mm-hmm. Right, well, there's a lot of great options. There's the Shecks, the Pat Neshecks, and the Steve C. Shecks, a lot of Shecks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's the Brad Zieglers, of course, the Darren O'Days, but – some guy I wanted to bring up, and I will be first to admit he was not good. He had a 5.4 ERA in 27 innings in one season in the big leagues. But his name is Kazushia Makita. Mm. Uh, he was a, he right now is pitching for the Golden Eagles of the Nippon Professional Baseball League. He pitched one season with the Padres and put up those horrible statistics. Mm. If you watch him pitch, and they actually have a slow motion video of him pitching, yeah, like he does this submarine. Oh, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, he like his hand almost goes and touches the ground, like it almost sweeps the ground. It literally looks like it's this close. Hmm. And I was like, "How do you like hit that?" Because like they showed his film in Japan, and it's like rising so high that the hitters are like literally just flailing at it the last minute. I'm like, "How did yeah. they? How were they able to see it and be able to hit that?" It's, it's very confusing to me. But uh, shout out to you because I feel like he doesn't get talked about enough. So I wanted to bring his name up. He's That's a, a cool one. I I, I mean. Um, Quisenberry is probably the right answer because he was amazing. <laughs> but uh, Kenta Colvey was another side armor in the mm-hmm. 80s. There was a few more, few closers who were side armors. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Quisenberry was the best one, and those Royals teams were, were, were amazing. Unbeatable. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish up this show with our game of the week. All right. Last but not and, least. Yeah, man. And so this is – have you guys ever heard the phrase, risk it for the biscuit? <laughs> <laughs> So this yeah, game is called Mix It for the CSW. Oh, God. Alex won. <laughs> no, I, I'm giving you guys all fair advantage. I'm putting – I'm going to post this in the chat. And okay. I'm going to – anybody that's watching, because we had a couple people interact with the game last week, I'm going to put uh, a couple of the names in the chat. I guess I'll have to break it up. But these are just some of the pitchers that are going to be included in the game. You guys have the full list of 15. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to – there's one through 15. There's only 12 questions, all right? So there's going to be three pitchers left over that aren't used. So not every single name. So I'm going to start with Alex. Then I'll go the cheesecake. Then I'll go to Doc and so on. You guys okay. have that own individual question to yourself. If you guess it wrong, someone else can steal it. And if they try to steal it and get it right, they get a point. If they try to, they steal and get it wrong, they'll lose a point. So you have to take that gamble if you decide to call your name in to steal it. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's one through 15. Just pick whichever number you want. And then I'll cross them off as they get they had taken or whatever. So everybody understand? No, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> all right. So, all right, fast. So one through 15, give me a number. Uh, eight. All right. This pitcher throws six pitches headlined by his improved four seamer 
at 43.6% of the time. He has a 23% cutter, 13% curve, and 13% slider, 7% sinker, and, and barely throws a change. So he's, again, six pitches, mostly his improved four-seamer at 43.6%, has a 3.06 Sierra and a 30.8% CSW. And just, uh, I know obviously, Alex, you wrote this, so I wanted to make sure they had they knew. A poor CSW is 20 to 25%. Okay is 25 to 30 The league average is about 28.7%. Good is 30 to 35, and great is 35 to 40. So the higher the CSW, the better they are at throwing strikes and getting whips. So that helps you kind of figure out which pitch you want to pick. So What what did you say Sierra was? Sierra is 3.06. I'm going to guess, I'm going to, you're saying better increased fastball. I'm going to say Trevor Bauer. That is correct. Okay, nice. Mr. Right. Mr. Sticky himself. Right off the gun. All right, cross Bauer off the list here. Alice is one. Make sure I have this marked on my phone here. All right, Cheesecake, you're up next. Yep. Pick a number, one through uh, 15. One. All right. This pitcher throws three pitches but mostly goes with his slider at 53% of the time. He also throws a four-seamer at 34% and a sinker at 13%. He's a right-hander with great strikeout stuff and has a 33% CSW. Denelson Lamette? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Cheesecake on the board. All right, you guys, that was probably one of the easier ones because I gave the uh, strikeout stuff in there. It was a good one. Though. All right, Doc, you're up. Can't hear oh, I think you. He's on mute. <laughs> Are you back, Doc? Let me go 14. All right, 14. This pitcher throws four pitches. He uses his four seamer 47% of the time with a 30% changeup, 13% slider, and 11% curve, but only has a 24.5% CSW. Can you say that one more time? He throws four pitches, four seamer at 47% of the time, then throws in a 30% change, 13% slider, and 11% curve. Has a poor 24.5% CSW. All right, well, I feel like I'm going to take an L on this one, but I'm going to say Luis Castillo. That's incorrect. Does anybody want to jump in for the chance to steal? Say, say, the, say the pitches again. He throws a four-seamer 47% of the time, 30% changeup, 13% slider, 11% curve. John Means. That is correct. Alex with the steal. He's got two. And it's back to you. That's the Oriole fandom. Yeah, exactly. It's back to you for the second round. Four rounds total because you guys will each get three questions. Okay. Number one. Oh, that is taken. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Number two. Okay. Make sure I highlight these as we go that they're off the board. This pitcher throws five pitches. He throws a four-seamer and changeup both at 26% of the time, throws a sinker at 21%, slider at 18, and a curve at 9 to keep the hitters honest. He'll be talked about a lot next season, combining that with his 29.8% CSW. Say, say, the, say the Arsenal one more time. 
He throws a four-seamer and change both at 26%, a sinker at 21, a slider at 18, and a curb at 9. Um, four-seamer and change. I'm looking at our options here. Wouldn't be Sabale, wouldn't be Corbin. Woodruff? That is incorrect. Ah. For a chance to steal, Eric R., you want to take a guess. But, again, if you don't get it right, you lose a point. I'm not going to. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to win this game if I don't try to steal. So you can go in the negatives. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I mean, oh, I don't get a negative for getting mine wrong. No, you only get a negative if you steal. Otherwise, you stay at zero. All right, then I'm going to stay. Okay. So we'll leave that on there. Okay. Right, pick a number. <clears throat> okay. I guess we don't get the we don't get the answer at the end of it, do we? Uh, I actually give it to you. That was Sixto Sanchez. I was Sixto. Oh, that's man. what I was thinking. Ah, uh, brutal. Got to risk it for the biscuit. We're going to talk about him a lot. <laughs> that's where the game is made from, Eric. Come on. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 11. 11. This pitcher throws five pitches. His four-seamer tops all at 43%, but he's known for his nasty slider at almost 28%. He has a 14% change, 7% curve, and 5% sinker has a respectable 28.6% CSW. Hmm. <sighs> That's tough. I don't I don't know. I don't know. This is this is a guess. So I'm going to say Known for the slider. Mm. Darn it. Um, there are a few pitchers that have good sliders on here. Yeah. Is that uh, is that is that Matthew Boyd? That is correct. All right. Nice call. Well done. Thanks. We did we was mentioned that we talked about his pitch mix actually mm-hmm. during the show, so Yeah, that sinker gave it away. All right, Cheesecake and Alex both at two. Doc, get back in this. Pick one. Uh, nine. He throws six pitches, headlined by his sinker at 31%. He also throws a cutter at 28%, a curve at 20% that has a 23% swinging strike rate on it. He throws in a 9% change, a slider that's also at 9%, and then only a 2% four-seamer. His CSW is 32.5%, so it's a pretty good CSW. Hmm. I'm definitely going to lose this game, but I'm going to guess Adrian Hauser. That is incorrect. Does anybody want to jump in for a steal? Aaron Savali. That is correct. Alex with another steal. Dang. As soon as you said this was a CSW game, I was like, all right, Alex is winning. No, I I cheated because I'm helping out the team that does the pitch classifications, and we just had to change all of his four seamers to sinkers. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But it, Cheesecake's still in this. Doc, you might be an afterthought, but Cheesecake's fighting. All right. All right. Alex, it's back to you again since uh, it's your turn now for round three. Uh, seven. He has four pitches, but mostly uses two. He has a blazing fastball that uses 43% of the time with a slider at 37% of the time that has an insane 27% swing strike rate on it. He has a 17% change and a 3% curveball. Is CSW crazy high at thirty six point five percent? I mean it. it... 
Oh God, it's got to be one of two people. It has to be. It ha- it ha- it, there's no one else who would have a CSW that high. It has to be Degrom. That is correct. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. That was that was one of definitely. There's not a lot easier ones, but he was. There's only a few answers for that. Yeah, I thought it was either Castillo or Degrom. So yeah. All right, Alex. Now is four. Cheesecake. You need this one here. Stay in the game. <clears throat> All right, pick one. Um, number four. Number four. This pitcher throws four pitches. His number one pitch is his changeup, approximately 31% of the time. He has a four-seamer at 29%, sinker at 22 and a slider at 18%. He has a 2.83 FIP and 30.4% uh, CSW. Number one pitch is his changeup, approximately 31% of the time. All right. Luis Castillo. That is correct. Well done. Man, they get the easy one. Some of these I feel like I know, and then Mon uh, now he's complaining. <laughs> Man, I got for Mon, I got Savale and John Mean. They get DeGrom. He said number one pitch. Everybody knows Luis Castillo's number one pitch is a changeup. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you gotta pick you gotta a better number. Better numbers, Eric. How, I gotta yeah, get this deal yeah, this David, time. Give me an easy wrong. one. All right, Eric, you're finishing up round three. Who you got? All right, give me 10. This pitcher throws five pitches. There's a four-seamer at 31%, followed by a 27% slider, which is regarded as one of his better pitches. He throws a 22% change, 11% curve, and 9% sinker. Has an impressive CSW at 35.1%. Max Freed. Incorrect. Does anybody want to try to steal? Wait, it's got. I mean, there's no one else on this. The, the, I'm looking at the remaining names right now that we have, and there's no one who would have a high CSW. Like it has to be Bundy. That is correct. Yeah, I Damn. I should have just jumped in and when you started talking. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> you got him. You're a bastard coated sandwich with bastard in it. <laughs> it was the three for me, and I picked the wrong one. Yeah. Eric Bundy was one of the easier ones. I felt like because yeah, he's one of the higher CSWs. Uh, well, I mean, uh, Max Reed are both having good years. So that's true. That's true. All right, the, after three rounds, we got one more round to go. Alex with five, Cheesecake with three, Eric with a uh, goose egg. That's right. fine. Alex, who you got for your last one? Uh, 11. We have 11 left, final round, 11. 11 is gone. We have. I'll give you the numbers that are left. We have three, five, six, 12, and 13. Six. Max. Oh, oh, Max yeah. Freed. Max <laughs> Freed. Oh, my God. How did I just do that? Max Freed. <laughs> Wow, All right, let's do. Was, we'll, uh, we'll cross Max Freed off the board, and I'll do thirteen. Okay. He throws five pitches. It's headlined by a forty-nine percent sinker, as in a seventeen percent four-seamer, twelve percent change, eleven percent slider, eleven percent curve. Has a twenty-six point seven percent CSW. Adrian Hauser. That is correct. That would be talked about him. So hopefully, you guys both knew that cheesecake and uh, Eric. The right. only guy remaining who does a sinker, too. All right, Cheesecake. We've got, I'll give you, we've got three, five, and 12 left. Uh, three. This pitcher throws five pitches. He relies heavily on his sinker and his four-seamer at 33 and 32%, respectively. He has a changeup at 18%, a slider at 12, and a curve at 4. Once regarded as a one-pitch thrower, he has a 30.1% CSW. 
once regarded as a one pitch thrower. He was known for mainly throwing one pitch. It's like his so called like what basically all he threw. Okay. Oh boy. Now I'm between two people. This is gonna be silly. If I'm gonna guess wrong. Brandon Woodruff? That is correct. Good guess. He uh People talking about that he just throws the fastball. He was like Matt Harvey, but he is. He added the sinker a little bit more, it looks like, this year. So good job with that one. Are they tied? Uh, no. no, he's down two. So hopefully, so maybe Alex will let him uh, steal when you get yours wrong. Okay. <laughs> Eric's going to get this one. Eric's going to get this one. No, I'm going right. to get before David finishes his clue. Just to that oh, I love that. Redemption points. Love Five that. or 12, Eric. Five. This pitcher throws four pitches, but is mostly That's correct. (laughs) There you had a one and two shot. I love it. Well, you did get on the board, Eric, but unfortunately it wasn't enough. I had the quickest answer too, so I wouldn't have superlative. I'll give that I'll give that three points. (laughs) You still didn't win, Eric. Yeah, exactly. All right, with the final (laughs) score of six to four to one, Alex Fast, our winner. Cheesecake, you kept it close. Respectable. It was Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy. I should have just. You were. You were. You were. You were. I know. You got to jump in. I got to jump. This is a rookie mistake, and I'm I'm feeling. feeling Our winner always gets a nice little ten to fifteen second FaceTime. Anything you want to say before uh, we'll sign off here? Uh, I'm sorry I beat you all so bad uh, (laughs) on your own podcast. To (laughs) to quote Dumb and Dumber. What a bunch of pathetic losers. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, uh, it was great uh, to be back with you guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I appreciate you making the trivia question about a stat that I helped to come up with uh, that I look at every single day. That was very kind of you as well. Um, but seriously, uh, honor to be back here again. And I appreciate you guys having me back. Of course, man. You were one of our favorite guests we've had on this show. We were glad we got to kind of do it the right way this time and not have it just through the app. And um you're, you're an awesome follow. He's at Alex Fast Eight. Honestly, if you're looking to get into fantasy baseball or want someone that's going to be nice enough to just kind of talk with you if you want to have questions, he's he's the guy, man. And if you're just looking at him, you want to just see some awesome overlays and stats this man puts up. You're a real baseball and this is the guy. He's Thanks, the man. man. Thank you. Thank you. Man, check out all the great stuff he does at Pitchers List because it's, again, awesome stuff. Thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Also, everybody, we'll catch you next week. All right.